Welcome to Eclipse, a Dungeons & Dragons sci-fi fantasy thriller. I'm Jeremy Fair, and I'll be your Dungeon Master. I'm Adam Deweese, and I will be your illithid cleric, Dr. Shepard. I'm Megan Kelleher, and I will be your human monk, Ava Elkin. I'm Rob Clark, and I will be your warforged artificier, Info Fuscat. I'm Whitney Mullins, and I'll be playing Rita Nove in ASMR Bard. And I'm Patrick Collins, playing Kanan Vergest, the tiefling wild magic sorcerer. So last time you had just finished defeating all the rust monsters and you have managed to release that metallic sphere from the glass chamber that it was being enclosed in. So Info and Steve were attempting to open the sphere, but despite their best efforts and neither were able to break the sure ingenuity of this device. It's very, very hard to get in. It's very well made. And just the metals themselves, despite not knowing really what it does, the metals themselves seem even valuable. It's it's very heavy, close to 500 pounds, but fortunately it was just under 500 pounds, so Dr. Shepard was able to levitate it, making it much easier for you all to move it, as there is no resistance. And now, you are all standing in this chamber. You have kind of made a deal with our, uh, our friend Tucker to bring him his body. This uh, He claims that his other one has rested and that this is the body he created for just this occasion. And um, you have all presumably lied to him, but have, in his mind, agreed to bring him this object. He's given you instructions to some location that he claims is where he is waiting for you. And what would you all like to do? Orb. If we take this thing to Tucker, we lose our bargaining chip, right? Like, maybe we should see this guy without the sphere and then decide what we want to do. Mm, I think he heard that. Oh, <laughs> God. That, and and even, even upon Dr. Shepard pointing out that Tucker might have heard what you said, you do not hear any immediate response. That's very concerning. That just means that he wants to know what we're going to say to him. And I really think that we should find a piece of paper and write our responses down so he cannot see them. Mm, Kanan, <laughs> you jokester. Kanan forcefully face palms and just holds his hand there. Just like, oh, God. Lita, don't you have like a book that you draw in? Oh, I do. Absolutely. And she has like seven. Like, <laughs> she loves books. So <laughs> pulls one out. Starts writing so with a quill. So as Lita brings out her notepad and a quill and begins to write, what exactly is it that you're all attempting to write down in hopes that Tucker will not overhear the conversation you were having? So Lita would start out with, I think that that is a good idea. <laughs> um, I think that we should um, you know, meet this person and evaluate our choices once we have met them and can get a better insight into who they are and what they really want from us. Ava has horrendous handwriting, but is going to scrawl out, um, 
what is our end game here? What do we want? Do we need Tucker to let us look around and gain information? And what does he have to give us that we could possibly want? Yeah, Dr. Shepard, I, w- I won't be writing down. Uh, whenever the notebook gets to my area, I'll just speak telepathically, which will be the same. His bargaining ship is that he's going to uh, power up the station and grant us a tour of the state. But we could just do all of that ourselves. I don't even know why we would consider giving him this body, which obviously sounds like it's going to be a pretty destructive body if it's a weapon built by the Illithid. And then I'll pass the notebook along just whoever's up next. Kanan will grab the book and I will write... Screw Tucker, let's search the place and bail. And then pass it along. Oh yes, we can act like we just can't find him anywhere. No matter where we look, oh, we don't see him because apparently he cannot see where we actually are, right? So we're just going to get really good at ghosting. Ghost him really good, yes. Perfect. Ghost him from his own house. (laughs) When the book comes back to Kanan... He will write ghost and circle it like five or six times and shake his head. Yeah. They're going to pass the book to Info and he's going to look around really quickly and go, where? Where? Where's the ghost? Well, it's a ghost. It's invisible. Oh. Whew. Steve's going to take the book and put a little winky face next to Ava's handwriting because he just loves her so much. Ava's going to pretend that she didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Lita's going to take the book away disapprovingly and put it in her bag. Now that we're all in agreement... Kanan would be like, so let's go find Tucker, guys. Yes, um, he said we need to go west, so let's go west. Let's go west. Wink, wink. <laughs> All righty, then. Come on, Rodney. We're just okay. going to start walking over. Yeah, let's uh, head that way. Mm, yes, this way to the west, everybody, uh, as I'm walking into uh, the east opposite of where we're supposed to be going, just to see what's in that door. Yeah, if you move to the east side of this temple, you will all find yourself in the room where Ava and Dr. Shepard had previously found this mechanical device that seems very much there. They were almost certain that uh, some sort of large spherical object would fit directly into this device. And then sure enough, you all found a large spherical object of very, very similar size. When you walk into this room, it seems uh, just as vacant as Dr. Shepard and Ava would have remembered. You would see to the southern side of the room a very tall mechanical creature. It looks very much like a Warforged, but once again, it seems like a rudimentary version of it. And and it's standing there covered in rust. Its body does not seem nearly as complex as a true Warforged. And it would be comparable to the clockwork uh, creatures that were created on your own planet of Tyrell. Though even that seems to be not quite a perfect comparison because this thing is just so massive in size. Um, it looks that if it were to, you know, come to life or something like that, it would be kind of an issue. It's very large, like 10 or, 10 or 11 feet tall. However, it is covered in rust. And the way it's standing there, it may as well be a statue. Um, you do notice, however, especially info, that it, it, it absolutely is the same thing that is in the center of the room that has the rocks collapsed on top of it. Um, it, whatever that thing is, this thing has the exact same lower half of the body. So you can assume that that thing in the middle of the room is another one of these. That being said, 
You do see doors in this room to the north. Both the doors are slightly ajar, so you could actually peer into them or even enter them without attempting to open them or unlock them in any sort of way. And then, of course, to the east side of the room is where the strange mechanical device was where you could fit in the sphere. And um, once again, there are six of these strange, like, wheels. They're like control wheels that are sticking out of the wall. They're all equidistant from that central point. Another question I had for you, where is this sphere? Did you bring it with you? Are you levitating it behind you? Are you able to move it? Or is it just simply floating above the area where it was encapsulated? So I can't move it horizontally any. I can only move it up and down. Uh, so I, I would need somebody to be pushing it. Uh, my first choice would probably be Ava because Ava's usually kind of just the muscle of the group. Uh, so I would kind of just default to assuming Ava would be the one pushing it. No, that's I got it. Um, we'll guide it like it's like a Macy's Day Parade float, just like. <laughs> so Ava is able to push this sphere very easily. It, it doesn't have any resistance, and because of the levitation spell on it that lasts for a pretty long time, you said like up to ten minutes or something. You're able to get it up these stairs and into this room in you know maybe a minute, like not even that. So very easily, you're able to get it into here. What would you like to do? Can I spin you it like can. a basketball? Mm, that's finger. cool well, you guys you're certainly like making it like you cool are spinning is. it and then you're just kind of putting your finger under it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm having a good time I'm just curious as to how Apricot feels about this giant floating ball thing or is Apricot just still hiding away no Apricot is like really trying to escape and chase this thing um, so it's like Ava I, as Ava I have to keep a certain pace uh, to keep up with Apricot so she doesn't like leap out of her pocket. It's like a whole production. She Ava, loves as ball. you're trying to uh, keep Apricot from basically jumping all over this thing, you actually <laughs> notice because you are the one pushing it, this thing happens to have exactly six of those little uh, round slots. And they all seem to be spaced in such a way that they would uh, align kind of within like the positioning of the six wheels that are on the walls in this room. And with the area where the faceplate was on this uh, strange metallic sphere, that too seems to like as if it would just be facing directly like forward and a little bit up. It's just now you're actually recognizing like the symmetry of this thing. And it seems very similar to the symmetry of the little alcove where you could uh, perhaps insert the sphere into the ground like you had assumed previously. Amazing. I'm going to try to subtly point that out to everybody by saying things that are not incriminating necessarily, but like nodding my head to things. So I'll be like, wow, the detail of the uh, space we are in is so um, consistent with the design of the whole temple. Right, everyone? Kind of motioning to the appropriate uh, knobs and dials it holds. (laughs) Okay, so Lita will kind of like squint for a second and then girl talk kind of overcomes that because we can literally talk with our eyes and just understand each other and Lita will be like oh oh yes no we are absolutely I totally yes we are in the room where it happens it everything fits perfectly in this room it's beautifully laid out and organized and 
the interior decorating is just quite marvelous. Don't you think so? And she'll like kind of point at the holes and point at the things on the wall. They're like, don't you think everything in this room fits perfectly together? What are you doing? Just waving your arms around like a mad woman. I'm just going to go over here and look so at this info, robot. So Info, you were heading towards the large uh, robot. And, and that, that describes it perfectly. Even as a Warforged looking at this thing, it's so rudimentary that you a sentient mechanical being would describe it as a robot. It it certainly does not look nearly complex enough to have sentient life. Uh, You can tell immediately just the way that it's designed. You can see the gears and the way it's designed. You as an artificer and an engineer can tell, you know, this thing is not like a being. It really is just some sort of construct. Ah, I'm gonna look over at Rodney. Rodney, lad, this thing's a thing of beauty. It's a classic. Look at this. Look at the anti-craftsmanship. Ugh, I'd love to have this in my quarters. What are the rest of you doing while Info and Rodney are checking out this antique pod? I don't know what would would happen. What do we think would happen if we were to put the orb in this Dr. Shepard, are you saying this all telepathically? Yes, so my out loud voice is the kind of humming, very slow voice that as much as I can, I try to not have to do that one because it takes me forever to have to say anything. So yes, this is my telepathic voice, uh, me saying it. Unfortunately, it's one-to-one conversations to everybody. I can broadcast it out to multiple people, but I'm the only one that can hear the responses. So like, it's it's kind of me sending it out, getting back responses, but nobody else can hear what anybody else is saying. So after you are all kind of, once again, communicating in this sort of cryptic sort of way to avoid alerting Tucker, what would you like to do? You see that info and Rodney are standing in front of the mechanical being that's against the wall and you are all kind of cramped in this little alcove where this uh, machine is with this floating sphere right in front of you and then to the north are those doors that are uh, ever so slightly ajar. Kanan would like to take a peek in that room to the north right. of us. So Kanan, you're very easily able to just kind of move close to Dr. Shepard and peer through these two doors. And as you peer into this room, you will see a long hallway-like area that looks very fancy. In fact, it looks like the architecture was designed in such a way to be a remnant of a lot of temples and holy locations that you have seen uh, on Terrell. You already know that this entire place is supposed to be a temple of sorts, though that was a long time ago before the Illithid had invaded. But this area specifically looks kind of like a waiting area, maybe like a, like a promenade or something where you would wait uh, in front of the actual entrance to the temple because to the east side of this room, you see a massive doorway. Um, it's about the size of the entrance to this entire temple. And you see all these strange uh, holy geometric figures carved into the walls. And um, you can just tell by the design and the architecture of this room that it is uh, something something fancy and something special. But this hallway continues for about, I don't know, about 60 feet or so before you see another set of double doors that are also slightly ajar, like the ones that you're currently peering through. The room itself looks like um, it's pretty rough for wear. A lot of the ceiling has collapsed. The um, hallway is filled with bits of rubble and piles of stone and things like that. But for the most part, you know, it looks pretty much empty except for all this all this rock. After looking inside, I'll convey to the rest of the group 
it looks like we haven't really seen much of this place. Uh, there's there's more up this way. Yes, I think we need to investigate further. We haven't exactly accomplished our goal. Uh, Dr. Shepard, you can only hold this severe up for ten minutes, right? Is that going to be an issue for you? Mm. If it's a pretty giant temple like Kanan seems to get the feeling it is, I just want to make sure that if we have to put it down, we put it down somewhere appropriate. If needed, we could park it somewhere and then I could cast the levitate again a second time later. Oh, okay. Well, it's also a big ball. We could just roll the bloody thing. We could just roll it and I could (laughs) alleviate some of my mental capacity. Just like Katamari. You could just put apricot on top of it and let her run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I won't put her in it like a hamster ball, but if it's opaque, that might be an issue. That would be very cute. Let's get to it and let's look down this hallway here. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we got. Maybe we'll find some other right, cool so robots. Want to head north into that uh, hallway? Yeah, that's what Tucker said was to go north, right? Wing. Mm, yes. We are going north. All right, north. so as all of you head north into this room, it is just like the rest of the temple. It's dark, but with the dark vision that a lot of you already have, and then the temporary dark vision that has been granted to you by Dr. Shepard, you are able to see pretty well into this room. It appears to be just a large hallway. There's bits of rubble all over the place. And to the right on the east side of the room, you see this very impressive, massive doorway. It seems to be almost um, as big as the doorway was that you had first went through to just get into the temple in general and all around it you see all these figures and all these symbols and things like that it seems uh it seems to look like the doorway to an actual temple like you would be accustomed to on Terrell. also on the west side of the room you notice three arrow slits they seem to be pointing into the main room where the uh, stone chairs and the device that was holding the sphere was located but there's, you know, there's nothing in this room. You can tell it's empty of any sort of life. The symbols and markings on the wall, are they still in that order? Ava, if you're script? looking at it and you and you just can read Dwarvish, you know, all the time, um, you notice it just says, like, all who enter here enter the light. That's essentially what it says. Uh, okay, well. And that's just carved into the walls themselves and... And the walls themselves seem, you know, aged and, and devoured with time. doesn't seem like they were carved in recently or anything. Like, it just seems like they were carved in above the doorway. Above this really fancy one that we just yes. see up to our right. Uh, okay, it says, all who enter here enter the light. If, if my dwarvish serves. Uh, what do we think? Is that um, entering the light can mean different things? Uh, as a scholar of death, I would just like to point that out. All right, we send in Steve. Oh, I'm for it. Why are you holding her hand so tight, lad? <laughs> no, I'll, Dr. I'll hold his hand. Too. He'll I mean, just yeah, take a it's... couple steps in, and then I'll yank if he uh, seems to be in, under duress. You'll gently goad him to go into the light, <laughs> holding his hand. <laughs> I mean, I'm a way of mercy, monk. That's literally what I do. <laughs> so after goading... Rodney to be the one to open the door. Rodney rolls up over to it on his little tread wheels. And these, I mean, these doors are very, very large. Despite him being the powerhouse of the group, I don't think that Rodney is capable of pushing open these two doors. They seem to be made of 
a heavy stone and they seem to be speckled with bits of iron. It's almost like they took raw iron ore and built this door out of it without actually like smithing it into true iron. It, it seems like um, like a piece of stone fitted with these tiny bits of iron. It's very, very heavy. Oh, so we can't open it. Well, you might be able to, but I don't think I do not think Rodney can on his own. However, Rodney is very impressive. So if Rodney would like to make uh, some sort of athletics check and you would like to describe what it looks like, Rodney can certainly try. All right. Uh, let's see here. I guess I'll just roll a d20 for Rodney. All right. So Rodney is going to he's gonna like do the Henry Cavill arm reload thing again. <laughs> you're going to hear the bubbling in his boiler. The steam's building up. And he's going to put his hands on there and his tampers are going to like click into place up against the door and then he's gonna give it a good go it's a 16 all right so he starts to tug on these um massive doors so he attaches those mechanical hands of his and they latch on and he will start to pull on these doors roughly and you feel like uh, them kind of shake like they're so massive that just them rubbing against the stone on the ground is causing kind of like a little rumble and there's bits of dust and debris and things like that kind of falling from it. it seems like they have not been moved in hundreds of years but he is able to budge them slightly he doesn't get them all the way open but he does seem to kind of move them uh, a little bit forward and it does seem like that they will be able to be open enough to make like a three or four foot opening to where you could like all slide in kind of sideways if you wanted to and it seems that he has opened this enclosed chamber Rodney's gonna detach his hands from the door handles there and just go and release a bunch of steam just out of necessity and then move away from the door all right Steve you ready Steve's just gonna blink twice all right well go check it out I guess is Steve still projecting a, a light source yeah, this light is always on. Okay, so this bright light in the darkness, Steve starts to move over to the door and peer inside. And is um, anybody like looking in there with him or is it just Steve? I'd like to peek my head in there. All right, so Kanan moves up along with Steve and Steve is shining this light. And though you have dark vision with the light, you're able to see even better. And you look into this room, it seems to be a, a, a pretty large kind of congregation area for the temple. It seems like this is where worshiping might have went down. It appears to be about 20 or 30 feet wide, uh, maybe another 20 or 30 feet deep. And on either side of this room are two sets of staircases that descend towards the front where there is an altar. The altar itself seems to be entirely destroyed. There are bits of stone and rubble that have collapsed in much of the walls and the stairs in this room are just absolutely, completely in ruin. And you actually see um, the wall where the altar might have existed previously appears to be like a large hole, like some sort of alcove that has been bored into the wall. It does not look uh, architectural at all. It does not look like it was intended or planned. It actually looks more like a sort of burrow or a den of sorts. And as you're looking to this room, you'll actually hear a loud and you will see something very large rush out of that burrow towards you. In just that kind of instant, that flash second, you notice that whatever it is, is at least four or five times larger than you are. It appears to be the size of the entire width of this hole that you've seen in the wall. And it seems to have a light blue greenish color to it. It is moving at you very quickly. 
And in this split second, how would you like to react? Uh, crap, close the door, close the door, and then I will shoot a firebolt at it. Patrick, what if it's friendly? What if it's a nice monster, man? It's running up to give us a hug. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's wow. true. That's a terrible idea. I'm just drawing attention to myself. Eight? Yeah, I'm screwed. Well, I, it doesn't matter, because I can't roll dice ever. So in your panic, you just fire this random firebolt. Um, you don't even see if it hits. You don't see if it connects. You just fired this thing and took off. Rodney, though you were like, close it, close it, close it. He is just sitting there and his wheels are spinning against the oh, ground. No. And he is not able to close it very quickly at all. And this thing is going to, in seconds, just slam up against the door. When this happens, both stone doors fling open. Bits of the rubble and stone come flying off of them. And this massive worm-like creature begins to just burst into the room. Roll initiative. Is it a push or a pull door? <laughs> oh, it's so embarrassing. If the worm tried to push a pull door and it looked really dumb. It gets a natural 20 for its initiative. Oh, that's perfect. Of course the DM. Yeah, Ava rolled a 10. <laughs> yeah, I was really excited to see that 20. Yeah, Info got 20, which should be very good. Unfortunately, Monster got a 21. And then I got a 17, Lita got a 16. Kanan, we don't want to talk about what Kanan nope. got. Nope, Kanan doesn't want to talk about it. Ava got a 10, so she's not as fast as usual. It's probably because Steve is holding her hand and weighing her down. But All right, so this thing busts through the door that Roddy managed to open just a little bit. It seems like, based on the way the dust and the stone fell from the ceiling, that it has been undisturbed for... Uh, centuries, most likely. And this thing bursts through the door. Both those stone doors swing wide open. Everyone, including Rodney, is pretty lucky to not have just been absolutely just like smashed by these massive doors at the speed that they were flying open and how much they weigh. And this thing busts through the wall. It is a large, worm-like creature. Um, it's hard to see all of it, but you would guess at least 20 feet long. Its body's like a coiled, almost like a snake. And then towards its top, you see a head that's covered with kind of like the spiked spine that goes down its back. And then it has these massive mandibles uh, that are right in front of these huge jaws with all these sharp teeth. It has two very beady eyes. And then it has these gill, almost wing-looking things. That, they're kind of like fins coming off the top of its head. All around its body, you see long arms that are almost like a spider or a centipede, and there seems to be at least two or three dozen of them as they seem to protrude from out its entire body. This thing lets out this horrific roar into the hallway. The first thing it sees in front of it is Kanan, and it is going to just dart its head directly at him. <laughs> it is going to make a melee bite attack against him. It rolls a 13 as it strikes at him with these massive mandibles. 13 hits. Well, Pat, I hope you got a second character rolled up. Um, it rushes up to him, and it hits him with this massive head. I mean, its neck is so long, you assume it can probably hit from more than five feet away. And it's able to just stab at him with, with its huge fangs. And it will hit for 3d10 plus 4 damage. Rodney's going to use his deflect attack reaction. Okay, how does that work? The defender imposes disadvantage on the attack roll of one creature it can see that is within five feet of it, provided the attack roll is against a creature other than the defender. It gets a 12 with disadvantage. 12 still hits. Ah, oh, so close! Unfortunately, even with Rodney's attempt to block and distract this thing, it is just slapped away by one of those many legs that are protruding from this thing's body. And it is still 
going to hit Kanan. 3d10, you said? It hits him for 15 damage as it darts that massive head that's easily larger than your body. And it pierces you with these two big mandibles. It feels like you've just been stabbed by two short swords. Oh, God. Help. Kanan is buckled over the front of this thing's head, nearly unconscious at this point. As part of my reaction, as my hands are pressed down on the back of this creature, I need it to make a dexterity saving throw or suffer my hellish rebuke. All right. The massive Weirm-like creature makes a 14 as its next save. And it saves. As this thing pierces Kanan's chest, in a last-moment-ditch effort, he casts Hellish Rebuke. These flames erupt from the floor beneath this creature, and it doesn't seem to react to it at all. Fuck. As this thing hits you, you feel that not only it has this like intense piercing feeling as it erupts into your chest, but it's very hot. In fact, it feels like you're touching like something covered in embers. It would be six damage, but as a tiefling, does that deal resistance or are you immune? I have resistance to fire damage, so it's three. You take three additional fire damage. Are you still up, Kanan? And Kanan collapses unconscious on the back of this creature's head. And this thing lets out a... It's so loud that it is echoing throughout this entire chamber. And there are bits of stone literally falling from the ceiling, just from the sheer ferocity of its roar. You find yourself in the midst of an endless frozen field. This would be difficult terrain for all but the most elite warriors, but you're no stranger to this punishing climate. You stand alone with nothing but your trusted silver blades and your most resplendent custom-made armor. This is it, the final encounter in a quest for gold that's brought you all over the world. You've been training your whole life for this, and you're ready. If this sounds exciting, have we got great news for you about competitive figure skating. Join us at the Ice Tea Podcast, the podcast where we spill the tea on figure skating. Whether you're a diehard fan or you just saw Yuri on Ice once and you thought it looked kind of cool, we're here to recap major events, interview your favorite skaters, break down the drama, and do the incredibly important sports journalism of rating the quality of plushies thrown out onto the ice. We may not be technical specialists, but we are comedians with a lot to say. Check us out at bit.ly slash podcast or by searching the Ice Tea Podcast wherever you get your pods. Do you suffer from chronic storytelling dysfunction? Do you find you're overrun with trite tropes and cliche character patterns? Well, you're not alone. In my old age, I was tired of boring stories, but thanks to Dice Chronicles, I feel young again. If you suffer from a lack of creative world building or one-dimensional character development, Dice Chronicles may be just what you need. My characters always felt flat and unable to perform, but with Dice Chronicles, I'm not afraid of being my true self. Before I started listening to Dice Chronicles, I felt so alone in my hunger. But now I'm a first-rate villain. Dice Chronicles gave me a purpose, but most importantly, it gave me a terrible French accent. Hi, I'm Yarn, and before Dice Chronicles, I used to be terrified of magic. But now, after just a few episodes, I've got magic pouring out of my eyeballs. I used to suffer from crippling anxiety, but thanks to Dice Chronicles, now I only suffer from anxiety from going on an adventure with my friends. Dice Chronicles is not responsible for rolling natural ones, TPKs, or the general feeling that our characters are better than yours. Ask your DM today if Dice Chronicles is right for you. Find us at podbean.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jerundu. 
and we are the hosts of Dice Talk on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Dice Talk is a Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop podcast that dives into the deep topics of tabletop role-playing games. Join us as we speak with passionate content creators, podcasters, authors, and more as we discuss all manner of tabletop and geek-related content. Dice Talk is a bi-weekly show, so we're hitting your podcatchers with fresh new episodes every other week, filling your ears with exclusive interviews and conversations that you can't find anywhere else. Every episode is a new opportunity to hear from different creators in the tabletop community and just talk about Dungeons and & Dragons and any other tabletop games that have made us who we are. Dice Talk, now on the Majestic Goose Podcast Network. Make sure you check us out and subscribe so you never miss an episode. A Majestic Goose Podcast. And we move to info as Kanan collapses to the ground, even with his resistance to fire. Info's gonna see this and go, oh, I guess. Let's get at her. Pitter patter, boys. And Steve and Rodney are up behind me, and I go ahead and pull out my crossbow and take aim and let loose with a crossbow bolt at him for 16. Does that hit? 16. You fire that crossbow bolt, and it does hit. This thing is large and ferocious, but it does not seem to be overly armed. Cool, I got him for 7 damage. Alright, yeah, you shoot that thing into it for 7 damage, and it lets out a small cry, only further confirming that perhaps it is resistant or even immune to fire damage, as it made no such reaction to the Hellish Rebuke. Okay, and then uh, my guys take their turns after mine. So, Steve is going to go at him with a force strike, which is a ranged weapon attack. So Steve rolled 22. That hits. 24 plus 2, so 4 damage total. Alright, so he manages to hit this very large creature for 4 damage. Rodney is going to get up on him too, and he is going to use his force and power to rend, and it's going to be 18 to hit. 18 will hit. And he is going to eight for damage. All right. So Rodney's able to hit him for eight more damage. However, with both of your mechanical allies being in melee range, they each take 2d6 fire damage as this thing is giving off such an immense amount of heat. Steve will take seven fire damage and Rodney will take 10. Okay, Rodney. (laughs) Oh my God. That might kill Steve. He is, he is not really built to take stuff. And you can all feel the heat emanating off this thing. Even those of you that are far enough that it's not damaging you, it feels like a heater has just entered the room. This temple that was very cold, this thing is literally radiating heat. It seems that the way it is created, its biology has allowed it to adapt to these very, very arctic temperatures, and it itself feels like you have a furnace in the room. Steve is down. He only has seven hit points, so he sucks back into the Magicom, and the Magicom clatters to the floor. And as Steve falls, we move to Dr. Shepard. Dr. Shepard, how would you like to react? You just watch this creature burst through the wall, attack Kanan, drop him to the ground, and now Steve is down. Okay, uh, this might feel heartless. I don't care as much about Steve as I do Rodney. Uh, I do like Rodney more. Only one of them gets you coffee in the morning. <laughs> That's true. Steve doesn't really do shit for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, I do like Steve, but uh, 
point, I think I'm more worried about Kanan dropping. So I am just going to use a level one healing ward, which is a bonus action. And how I kind of picture that is I am going to take these two small electrodes and toss them on Kanan's body. And it's going to shock him for level five healing. And then I'm going to raise my staff in my other hand, my spell coil staff. And I'm just going to fire off the bolt at this thing uh, for four points of damage. And I, I don't know if we've described these staffs. Uh, I, I'm assuming by now, I think we're on episode six right now. I think we've described what they do mechanically, though. It's pretty much one magic missile, but for a D6 plus uh, intelligence modifier. So it was a D6 plus one was four total. Yeah, so you're able to use your arcane staff and shoot this demi-equivalent to a magic missile, and this and this large bit of force energy erupts across this uh, small hallway, and it hits that thing directly in the head for four damage. It lets out a roar of pain in response, but you certainly don't think that it's anywhere close to being defeated. And with that, do you have anything else you'd like to do before we move to Lita? Oh, that was my action bonus, and I'm going to stay where I'm at, kind of a little bit behind uh, Info and Rodney and Kanan. All right, so with that, we move to Lita, who is the furthest back. Lita, you are still standing only a foot or two in front of the doorway leading to this hallway, and you were just watching with horror as this horrific creature is decimating your party. You've seen two of your allies fall already, and a, a few of the, the other ones seem to be having a hard time with it. How would you like to respond? Yeah, so Lita is pretty overwhelmed um, with the whole visual that is happening in front of her, and she's kind of like, guys, are, are we fighting this, or are we running? And she'll kind of like stand there, like, unsure of what to do, and she'll just follow suit and use her staff to throw a magic dart at it because she's not going to get any closer to it than she is already. Okay. That is a six total damage. Alright, so Lita also uses her arcane staff and fires that arcane energy that just like a magic missile auto hits, but it is not nearly as much damage. And for six force damage, you're able to hit this thing right in the side of its massive Wyrm-like body. Do you have anything else you'd like to do? Would you like to move back, or um, do you have any bonus actions you can use? She's pretty far back. Is Kanan within 60 feet? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's only about 20 feet away. Okay. So you could actually move back into the middle of the room behind you and still have a line of sight on this creature if you would like. However, you wouldn't have as much line of sight on your allies. Um, I'll probably just, like, can I move back there and still have line of sight on my allies? Yeah, Lita can certainly move back, you know, 10 feet or so, and through the open doorway, you can see the entire room. Okay, so she'll step back 10 feet um, just to open up the doorway for if anybody is going to run back, she won't be blocking everything, um, and she'll look at Kanan, and she'll say, run, Kanan, run, and you have a D6 of Bardic Inspiration. Lita, as the member of the crew who is the most qualified in biology and alien biology, make a history check to see if you know what this creature is. Mm, that is only a 13. Wow, plus 7? Yeah, I'm really good at history, just that was not a good roll. You feel like during your studies at the Waterdeep University, you recall that there are some sort of worm-like uh, creatures that are within that phyla that give off a like a like a massive amount of heat that is so strong that it could actually damage the environment around them. 
though there's also a number of dragons that can do the same thing. So you feel like this is something you've heard of before, but you're not really sure what it is. Okay. That is all that you will do. Okay. And with that, we will move to Ava. Ava, what do you do? You're kind of in the thick of it. The people in front of you are in combat. You've seen one of your allies fall, and um, you see that Lita is kind of keeping her distance and firing these magic attacks from behind you. Yeah, I've also seen Steve, whose hand was in my hand, just retreat into the magic comm, which was very upsetting. Question, what is the status and location of the ore? Yeah, I think we kind of, after you mentioned that how big of a tipple this is, I think we kind of bailed on us pushing it the entire way and left it behind. And whenever we find wherever we want to put it, then I was going to go back and let's take it. So the orb is currently just levitating in the room behind you where Lita has somewhat retreated to, and it is just kind of still there floating. Dr. Shepard has not yet taken damage, so his concentration has not yet been broken, and it is still just levitating here. It has a few minutes left. I'm torn because I think Ava feels a certain responsibility as, like, the bodyguard, um, but I think part of that is also knowing when this is maybe not something we can punch to death. I kind of want to just go push the orb into the hole because it couldn't hurt, right? Could Maybe it could make things better. Ooh, yeah. Or we could have two giant monsters trying to kill us. Oh, but I mean, at this point, it's all out of character, obviously. But at this point, Kanan, I don't see a way of Kanan getting out of this without something happening, right? And you can't get close to this thing, and I'm very much a punching, kicking kind of person. So I, I feel like we might need to do a little bit of a hail mary. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with my instinct. I'm gonna push the orb. I'm gonna dart back into the other room and try and try and guide the orb into the the orb hole. <laughs> okay. Oh, so, so scared. So Doctor Shepard, you're standing there, and you see Ava suddenly turn, and she just begins to dash away out of the room towards where Lita has retreated to. And she will move towards the orb that you're levitating. And she will push it over um, to this mechanism that's built into the floor where you have the wheels surrounding it equidistant from the center. And she will push the this large sphere directly into the chamber. And some sort of mechanical device is most likely connected to this intricate wiring links with the orb and it is suddenly pulled into place and you hear a loud sound as it attaches to whatever this device is. You see no other response and you just hear the creature roaring behind you, Ava, from the other room. There's levers and stuff though, right? There are six of these wheels that are attached to the wall. They all seem like like large valves that could be easily turned. I would like to pull as many of them as I can. <laughs> uh, which ones would you like to turn? Just any? I mean, it's, I don't have a very long turn. Uh, and I think in an ideal world, I would like to like do one and see what it does and do another and see what it does. But I think, you know, probably just uh, Ava would just, just as many as she can grab. Yeah. Yeah, you run over to the northern side and you turn one of the wheels. You reach your right arm over and turn the wheel next to it. And you just feel the ground below you shaking slightly. You hear a lot of loud, um, pretty distant noises. It seems like large metallic things shifting beneath your feet. And the entire temple in which you stand begins to tremble and shake. For a moment, there's a large surge of light that just fills the entire temple and then immediately disappears. And it is once again plunged into darkness. And with that, we move to Canaan. <laughs> 
just been recovered from the efforts of Dr. Shepard, and what would you like to do? Well, having just instantly come back to consciousness and this monster looming over me, Kanan will shriek a bit and say, Oh my God, Tucker just tried to eat me, guys! And I will get up, because I'm lying prone, and cast mage armor on myself, and then attempt to flee from this creature, feeling this strange urge to run all of a sudden. As you begin to turn and attempt to flee from this creature, you will hear the voice of Tucker. What have you awakened? What have you done? And that is where we will end. Wow. Uh, Shit! (laughs) (laughs) I almost died, you guys. (laughs) Oh my god. MajesticGoose.com and check out all of that awesome stuff that we're doing. Check out our streaming schedule and come say hi to us. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time on Eclipse.